All right, welcome in Inside Golf Podcast Mexico Championship betting picks. We'll bring in Michael Cavaliunis in a second, uh, who does the ownership projections for Fanshare Sports. Very smart guy, and I think if you liked the episode that I did with uh, with James last week, you'll really like this one as well. And we talk all through Mexico too. It's a really interesting week for DraftKings. So. This one is a little more DraftKings heavy than betting, but we cover all of it. And as always, this podcast is presented by RickRunGood.com. Bunch of new tools dropping in there very soon. All my written work, ownership projections. I gave Rick a bunch of suggestions on stuff that I wanted to add to the site um, that I think is going to be really cool and you're not going to be able to find anywhere else. So it's a great time to sign up. RickRunGood.com, promo code Andy. All right, let's talk to Michael. All right, Michael Cavalunas is here. He's the host of The Cut Line. He's a data analyst, and he does ownership projections as well for Fanshare Sports. Mike, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Andy. I'm really excited. By the way, last week's show was phenomenal because it really reinforced a lot of things I do for DFS. And I, I really, really, you know, anyone listening to this show, make sure they listen to last week's show. The one with, with James. Yeah, with James. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, for, for the things I do in DFS, it really reinforced some of the better ways to tackle these bigger slates. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Actually, the feedback that we got on, I've we DM'd before. I was curious about, you know, and I was always trying to learn because I'm trying to start doing my own ownership projections and trying to learn that world a little bit. So basically, the, the feedback that I got for that episode was really positive. People really liked it. So I thought, oh, Let's take this momentum. This is kind of a perfect time to to talk more about that stuff. And you do ownership projections. So, I mean, we could take this wherever you want, but I guess I'll just simply ask you at the start, like, talk about how you calculate ownership projections. And don't worry about rambling. We could, you know, it'll be a conversation, but I know <laughs> that's a loaded question is is probably a light term there. Yeah, it, it, it's the the... The model at Fanshare Sports is pretty intricate. It's pretty de- detailed. It's good, by the way. I, I really like your guys' projections, and I know you guys have had a lot of success with accuracy. Yes, we have. Um, we had an RSQ. Um, for those of you who don't know what RSQ is, it's basically, like, basically your accuracy set a, a few weeks ago, 0.98. So we we're just 2% off, like 100% correct, which is insane when you think That's about it. That's insane. From a, so our, our model's pretty spot on if, uh, if we're doing it right. Right. Sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss, but most of the time we're up there and we're hitting. But yeah, long story short, ownership for us is not easy. It's not a simple mathematical calculation. And I think most people who try to calculate their own ownership and don't add in certain adjustments or certain mathematical principles are actually not calculating like a projected ownership, but they're calculating more or less like what they that ownership should be, if that makes sense. Like if we're using Vegas odds, for example, sure. well, obviously the highest ownership should go to the lowest odds, which this week would be John Rom, but that's obviously not the case with DraftKings. So um, for my setup though, I do a lot of game theory before I mm-hmm. even put in a number. So I need to decide whether this is a stars and scrubs week, if it's a balanced kind of lineup week, um, if you're going to get a mixture of both. So like a neutral setting and I'll go from there. And even within that little balance, I can wait certain things so like Mm -hmm. even though i'm going to say it's a stars and scrubs week i'm only going to assume that you know 40 percent of a lineup in a 150 max gpp 
is going to be allocated towards stars and scrubs. Um, it's from there. I, I can't take credit for this, but um, anyone who's a part of Fanshare, and it's probably the most valuable part, is the tags that yeah. any golfer can potentially get. And that is one of the drivers of ownership. And it gives you a good baseline, to, to be perfectly honest. But if can you just walk, walk people through what you mean by the tags for those that, that may not have Fanshare yet. All right, so we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk, Rick. You know, we'll talk. Gaming is one of the big pushers in the industry for any player he talks about. You guys got your show, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you guys are like this week, for example, Aaron Wise is already yeah. being talked about everywhere. Okay, yeah. so the shows that we validate as worth it, um, and and I would kind of characterize those as like a tier one, tier two, tier three show. Mm -hmm. Your tier ones are your Mayos, your Ricks, you know, the guys who are movers. Um, your tier two guys are kind of like Kirshner, Rob me where am i <laughs> well you involved with rick now in the amount of you know <laughs> listeners that you get we're you can be honest no, you're, like, you're, the, you're tier, tier four <laughs> the, the funny thing is it's like all of a sudden like someone's not getting enough tags and i'll be like what what the you know what what the hell's going on like andy's talking about him you know rick's talking <laughs> about him pat's talking we got like three tags i'm like this ain't right so we need to fix it so we go back and forth with the tags but Literally, those tags go into like plays and fades and or don't plays, and they get categorized into my spreadsheet, my model, and I use that analysis to kind of break it down. But I learned a lot when I first started doing it that certain golfers need rules within their boundaries, no matter how many tags they get, no matter how many dislikes they get. And I think the best reference to anyone who's been playing for a long time Tony Finau, no matter what form he was in, never was under 16, 17%. Yeah. Same with Tommy Fleetwood back, you know, back a few years ago. Kind of same with Xander, right? <laughs> yeah. Xander too. You know, everyone wants X to finally get that, you know, the yeah. win and they want to be on him. They want to miss him. You know, when Doug Gim pops now, yeah. Doug Gim gets ownership, even though the guys that, you know, that's what you talked about with Mayo. That was something I talked about in, in the show with James where certain players, are just they get that bump if they're you know fan favorites from some of the content guys exactly so there's certain rules and caveats like everyone could talk about playing patrick reed and, and you guys talked about this last week no one's gonna play patrick reed you think anyone's playing 10k patrick reed this week i don't know yeah <laughs> so i would agree with you i think you're probably right i think i have him i would i would imagine he's like five percent this week uh, it's a little higher right now, but that okay. number could go go down or, and go up. Okay. So with that baseline then comes in more or less where I will go into DraftKings and I'll build lineups. Mm -hmm. So I'll take chalk plays and I'll try to determine what is the most feasible conceptual lineup, like for a single entry, for a three max, you know, with these chalk plays. And then I'll... I'll uh, I'll use Fanshare's optimizer as well as Fantasy Cruncher's optimizer to kind of build further lineups and kind of get an idea of what is going to dictate based on my projection model. And I have my own separate projection model that's different from Fanshare Sports. And this is where a lot of manual adjustments come in. Yeah. And it's funny because I'll get messages all the time. Like, are you really sure that, you know, Roy McElroy is going to be sub 10%? I'm like, Yes. I'm 99% sure he's going to be sub 10%. And if you don't want to play him and leverage the field, by all means, don't. And then, of course, they message back like, holy shit, you're right. Yeah. Like, how did you do that? 
And, and that's really what it comes down to it. Now, now the funny thing is though, uh, with this season in particular uh, that I've gotten so into the ownership projections, it's probably made me a worse DFS player because I'm trying to get too different. And, I know and, the feeling well. Yeah. So what I've kind of adopted as a, as a rule, and I've gone back and I looked at like the optimal lineups for most of these tournament fields, your ownership range is like 70 to 100, that aggregate ownership. Yeah. And that's kind of optimal. I tend to build below that, which is not great always. Right. And, and that's where that's where you're you, yeah if that hits you're winning oh yeah. there's no doubt in my mind like <laughs> you're winning but the chances of it hitting there's a reason that there's low ownership there's a reason that their biggest odds are astoundingly high yeah um although that, cody cody our guy cody i think his lineup at the heritage was that was definitely sub 70 for yeah, sure I, i'm not going to say it's not out of the question yeah yeah and the, and and the higher your um the, the higher you play in terms of stakes, like if you join the 888, you know, getting that different is advantageous because yeah. you are playing with guys who want to get that different. But if you go to that $4.20 max, you know, it's not necessarily often, often the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, uh, back, back to ownership, all the manual adjustments go in. This is like our first and second run through. And then we keep gathering additional tax, additional information. And I keep running you know, the lineups that I'm looking for that could be chalky lineups that are going to be in in play. And I don't necessarily project for like single entry and three max. Um, It's more for those 20 max, 150 max that we're looking at. Uh, That's where the big money is. Like who who really wants to chase that $5 single entry that's going to win you 500 bucks. But that's the smart contest to play for anyone playing, by the way. But um, that's where it stems to. And one of the things that people I think misunderstand about other people's ownership projections, depending on how, how detailed they get. Um, I won't, I won't throw anyone under the bus, but I know there's subscribers to Fanshare who, who use our ownership as a guide and average it out and, and put it as part of their own projections. Okay. I, I, I believe you that that doesn't surprise me at all. Can I go backwards with you for one second? So how many shows do you have to watch per week? Like, are you kind of sitting there? I know I, my show comes out on Sunday, but then are you kind of sitting there on on Monday and, and you have to consume all this content? Or are you kind of sitting at your computer screen and watching Twitter too to, to see what people are tweeting about? Because I'll give you a good example. It's not It's not always just what's said on shows, right? Like, for example, I tweeted a, about John Rom today that he hadn't finished top 10 in the last two years and any time he's been in a weak field. There, you look at the analytics of that tweet. There's like five, over 20,000 people that saw that tweet, right? So maybe, maybe if we say 2% of them are like, oh, I'm not going to play John Rom this week because he's way worse than I thought in shitty field events like do you have to sit on twitter and like monitor all that stuff luckily i don't okay that's someone else's job at fanshare and, okay cool and, and, and luckily i don't have to do that and um andrew rutherford De- devin rutherford they're the owners of fanshare sports they do a great job of curating all that content and bringing it to me to use but god if i had to listen to all those podcasts thank god they invented high speed right um <laughs> 
um, I would go crazy, but you know, we got, honestly, if, if we didn't have that as part of a foundation for ownership, our projections wouldn't be as good as they are. It, yeah. It's where it starts. It's, it's how we build such solid projections. But for me, when I'm building, I have particular people I'll follow on Twitter mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily movers, but they're very keen on who the best plays are and they have their own strong following example would be um house money uh yeah. you know shout not, out house we yeah, love house on, on love, igp i love house i love house we're trying to get him on the cut lines you know i reached out to him um jeff <laughs> uh i don't remember his twitter handle off the top of my head um tommy football uh follow him a lot um there's a new guy out there his name's Stu bega uh look at his stuff and and try to kind of see where they're going with their their sportsbook plays mm-hmm. and that kind of gives me a guide on ownership in terms of like specific podcasts or shows it really depends kind of on what i'm playing that week uh you guys kind of talked about it but if i'm going to play like the mayo three max i want to listen to the mayo and fade everyone pat talks about <laughs> <laughs> um and it's not that they're bad plays. It's just that everyone who's listening to Mayo is is not necessarily yeah, there. Yeah, confirmation say, bias. Exactly. So um, if you're going to do three max, the D-Gen three max, right? Why wouldn't you listen to Kenny and Tambo and say, okay, these guys are going to place. Now, there will be times like if I want to get, like if, I, if I'm lost on a guy, I will listen to other shows. Mm-hmm. But for me, it, it, it's, hard to, it's, it's hard to categorize like who I trust Versus who I think is like a gimmick or a, a, or a character. I want you to name names now. This is great. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. But like, and, and they're great shows. Like, don't get me wrong. They're great shows. They're fun. They're entertaining. But you're just reading Fantasy National and your model you put together. And you're not really diving into a slate. And sure. I, 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 for some of these guys, I'd love to go, you know. I would love to give him like a quiz, like in one of the questions be, you know, how many gloves does Aaron Rye wear? <laughs> and they're like, what, what the hell are you talking about? So like, um, it's stuff like that. So th- I think there's a lot of noise in, in January. I'll never forget this. There are so many new names and new faces and new podcasts. And for, for, I, still feels like there's a new podcast every week. And it's just, it's the same crap over and over and over again. And, it, it, some of these guys know what they're talking about. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's just there's only so much you could take until yeah. it becomes saturated. Well, just- I mean, the, the it's it's survival of the fittest, right? Like you have to bring something new to the table, or you're not people aren't going to listen because you can get stats and picks anywhere. So you know, some will get weeded out, right? The good ones will persist. But I, I mean, a lot of people also like a lot of people view it differently. Like this is my job. I get, I get paid to talk about golf. I get, I get, I, I do this full time. Like I, I made an active decision that I wanted to make a living off of this. I think probably a lot of people are just like, I have a great job. I'm passionate about talking golf. So I'm just going to shoot the shit with my buddy and talk golf. And that's fantastic. I would, I would never want to discourage those people from doing that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't discourage them. No, I, I would just, <laughs> I, I, I would just, I would just say like, eventually people know you're full of, you know, you're full of BS and, um, Oh man, it's, it's time to move on. And, and you kind of, and so, and some of these guys notice, right? Like all of a sudden their, their listenership 
goes from like you know five, six, seven hundred, and then that's what I'm saying like, is that it's like the the real ones, the good ones will persist, and and it's like like you said, there's only so much content you can consume on a given week, so it's not necessarily like a zero sum game, right? At the end of the day, a listener is going to choose. Okay, these are my five go tos, or these are my four go tos. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think the biggest difference between a great show and even just like an average or good show is that, and, and I think it's one of the models that we do at Fancher Sports, why we try mm-hmm. to produce the ownership that we produce is because we want everyone to win. Like we want you to win. Like it, it's, it's like, uh, you know, like I, my DMs are full because people tell me that they won or people text me, you know, back when yeah. I started, I was giving my number out like a stupid dumbass, And, you know, I'll, don't do that. <laughs> well, I got give my boy a shout out. He's up in Minnesota. Ryan Kaiser, one of my kind of like original listeners. You know, he he hit a PGA single entry win for five thousand, and I was so happy for because he's fast, grind, right? Grinding yeah. and grinding, and, and it's it's kind of what actually drew me into doing this, and what Rick started doing with his YouTube shows and everything like that. You know, in all honesty, like on the cut line, I should have a little page dedicated to. Rick. Rick, like a shrine. Hey, this only exists because of him. <laughs> he was a big inspiration for me as well, breaking in at the very beginning. Him and Pat, you gotta you gotta give all the credit to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so and then um with going back to ownership, we uh we get to about of uh, you know two to three updates a day, mm-hmm. usually in the morning and the PM for sure. And then that last update comes in um at Wednesday night. And just so you guys know, I'm central time. So for you East Coasters that are going to bed at like nine o'clock, nine thirty, uh-uh. <laughs> no, I thing. I love it because I'm in I'm West Coast. Yeah. So there's East Coasters. They're like, when you put it up, when you put it up, when you put it on, like, relax, it'll get there, it'll get there. That that was something that me um, and James talked about a lot. Is like build at the last minute if you can, right? Like, and that's the fact that you're. I would say that you feel probably. Like, what is the difference between your feeling of confidence in like your first ones that come out what on Tuesday morning? Uh, typically, they come out tonight. Okay, um, so late Monday night versus late Wednesday night. How much generally in a week changes? Massive. massive. I feel like You'll- that. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I, and one thing I started looking at more closely is that movement. Like, if somebody seems like they're trending up they might even be higher than the projection. If somebody seems like they're trending down, they might even be lower than direction. Like what, what direction are these people moving? So I started writing down what some of the numbers were like Monday night and then seeing what direction they're moving in. Yeah, that, that, that helps on Fanshare. There's actually an indication how much they've moved. You guys have the arrows and yeah. yeah. And it also tells you the, the, the difference. Yeah. So if they've gone down an 8%, well, that's a red flag. Why are they going down? Let's, you know, let's do our research. And if you can leverage the field and they keep going down, you know, take advantage of it. But it's actually one of the reasons I push my show back to when I record because the previews are nice and, and, and they offer a great concept of like a broad view of a tournament field. But when you really want to break it down and dial it in, ownership becomes a massive aspect of who you're going to play and who you're not going to play. I mean, we were talking pre-show how we both faded Camp Smith for the <laughs> Masters. I'm sure you had your own reason. I know my reason was is the guys never won a tournament without 
having six strokes gained putting. Yeah. And like, I just don't see that happening here at Augusta. Um, but long story short, when we ran that first initial ownership, he wasn't in the twenties. He was in my player pool. But then when we got to like Tuesday night, Wednesday, that was changing. Yeah, there's that's another thing I want to ask you about. Is there ever do you ever have situations where I feel like every single week there's always one guy where I'm like, whoa, how is that guy 17%? Do you ever do you do you notice that? Do you feel like every single week there's always a player that everyone everyone start because what happens is the narrative builds where people start saying, Oh, everybody's playing this guy. And then when people start hearing people on shows say everyone is playing this guy, then they think, oh no, I got to pivot and it works vice versa as well. It does. And that's more of a game theory though. And, um, you know, what's really good at is Tambo. Tambo is great. Tambo is so good at, at, at those pivots. And Pat Mayo is actually really good at it in those lower levels, like in that 7k range, you kind of, the problem is they're not pivot. They don't, they don't end up being pivots though. No, that's true. That's true. Because with Mayo, I mean, you got to, even sometimes with me and I, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm like tier four. I'm not a, I'm not a four. You're not, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not a reference so many times. No, I I know. I know. What I'm saying is for some of the lower guys, like uh, if I, make if i spend 15 minutes on my podcast talking about joel dahman or jj spot and i'm like that guy's going to be one percent he's never one percent he's like six percent so it 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 feels like with the smaller guys that's where that's that's what i notice the most is guys that i think that are going to be literally one percent owned and then they kind of become the buzzy like 6k guy and they end up at like seven eight percent i think it's harder with the higher price guys if that makes sense it it isn't it isn't like guys are gonna pop depending on the field yeah um like two years ago when Corey connors was 6900 at the masters like i know it's dumb that i remember stuff like that but i remember it too (laughs) I, i i mean Boom, I already started at 30% ownership. And when I did my initial run through, I had to make manual adjustments to get in the 30 because that made all the sense in the world. So when you look at those like top tier to lower tier, you're looking at a field-based judgment. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's easy to point out those guys. I, like we're talking this week with Aaron Wise. Aaron Wise is going to be massively owned. But you've spent a lot of time this past week talking about game theory getting different. So now I have to make this judgment when I'm calculating ownership. Well, are people going to say, huh? Well, a lot of people are going into Aaron wise. I might just pay the extra hundred, go up to Kirk, or I might go down and pay for 9,200 Russell Knox, or I might go for Cameron champ and follow the bomber narrative. So now we're in this. And Cameron like, champs, a very popular betting pick right exactly so a lot of people well cameron champ's a weird example because he's like the ultimate good bet bad dfs play narrative guy but you know what i mean people like betting the guys that they people like playing the guys that they bet on and everyone loves that bet this week correct and then then there's the other things like you got to think about um no one really knows if they're a casual golfer who the gala is yeah so people can he could end up with like 20 or 30 tags and still be single digit ownership. 
Okay, and, there's a, there's a question for you. Do you think there's like a large population of the people that play DFS that like don't really consume any content, right? Because I think it's easy to that's what always is so confusing to me is like how how much of the I feel like I'm in a bubble sometimes. And it's like how much of the people that play DFS like aren't even on Twitter and like tons of people don't know me. That's easy. But like how many of the people that play DFS and like they don't even know who Pat Mayo is either, right? Like that's that's the tricky one for me is that I worry that sometimes we're in a little bit of a bubble. Yes and no. Okay. I have a hard time anyone going into a DraftKings contest just clicking names. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you I have a couple about, friends. You'd be surprised, but I know what I, you mean. I agree with you. I, even when you're, even like, even when you were a new DFS player, right? Mm-hmm. What was the first thing you did? You you Googled tonight's NBA slate top plays, right? Yeah, I listened I to know. shows and I, yeah. I, they told me who to play, and I played those guys. So I maybe I'm naive, but I think a lot of people at least do a little bit of research. They probably all don't have subscriptions to you know, a website that has an endless amount of content to help them make selections, but they most definitely are doing some sort of research and maybe potentially, you know, listening to one show, two shows. I also think that people who are playing this week tend to play every week. Yeah. Right. It's not a major. um, And that's also a thing I forgot to mention with ownership. Ownership changes from week to week like a major because we have more casual fans, the chalky plays aren't going to be that much more popular versus a week like this week, game theory comes more into play because you have more experienced players who are going to be like, I don't think I really want to invest in Aaron Wise. You know, so it's a balancing act. It's really hard. And um, I think the hardest events to kind of project that ownership for are WGC events, the no cut events. Mm, why do you think that is? That's interesting. Um, people are willing to take more risks or even have less risks, you know, and eat the ownership because they're guaranteed four rounds. Yeah. And there's also a pretty big disparity between the best players in that field and the worst players in that field, right? Because mm-hmm. at WGCs, you get all the top names, but then you also get a couple like random guys from the Asian tour that somehow get in the field. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. And 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 you just someone might pop as chalk, and they might end up doubling their ownership, right? So say uh, it's a WCT event, and Justin Thomas is there, and he's getting eighteen percent, and he ends up being twenty eight percent, you know, thirty three percent, because people are like, "Well, I'm just going to eat it. What's the big deal? I get four rounds of Justin Thomas. I know it's a no cut event. I want to, cons- you know, get as much scoring opportunities as I can." Are there any times when, last question, because I want to talk about Mexico a little bit too, and I know you're on a schedule and I am too, but um, are there any times when you're like shocked? Like, are there any times when it comes out on Thursday morning and you're like, wow, (laughs) like, wow. I, uh, I've never been shocked. Okay. I've been upset. Okay. (laughs) Because I got it wrong. Elaborate. Well, dude, you're human. I mean, (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. But, you know, I have high expectations and <laughs> funny story, as, you, sh- as you should, you're great, man. When I did the first run through ever for fan share. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> and then the ownership came out and I go, oh, shit, what did I get myself into? <laughs> like, I'm going to be cast aside. 
And that's when I started making rules for, for particular players on terms of ownership projections and, you know, don't get fooled by this or whatever the case may be. But I, I've never been surprised. When I'm surprised is when I see the initial run through. Mm. And I go, really? People want to play him? <laughs> you know, anytime you see, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm a sucker for Doug Gim. But anytime you see double digit Doug Gim, you're like, what? Yeah. You know, even maybe not so much this week, but earlier in the year, Aaron Wise was getting all the love in the world. And I'm like, really, guys? Aaron Wise, that, that's who we're going to, you know, throw 25, 30% of our ownership to? Granted, he's won once on tour, but who was that? What was that? was the John Deere, right? Something like that. It was uh, Byron Nelson. Byron Nelson, yeah. Yeah. And that was not even at uh, Craig Ranch. Nope. But, it was at Trinity Forest. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know that I get more shocked in the initial run through than I do the finishing. Interesting. All right. Well, I could talk to you about this for easily another hour, but I want to, I want to get into some Mexico stuff because I think this is a pretty fascinating week for, for DFS. Um, I gave a full course breakdown on my Sunday show already. You do an excellent one over at the cut line before we dig into the, uh, the slate. Is there anything you want to like add about the course? I don't, I don't think I'm going to add anything about the course. Um, I think it's going to play really easy. A lot of people okay. have said that. But a lot of the previews that I've read, a lot of the preview shows that I heard, are really emphasizing bombers. And I, I'm already telling you, I am going way different. And I am not going to go and invest my time on bombers. And I see some so like such strong correlation to the Which, buyers. by the way, sorry to interrupt, that was something that right after the podcast with James, we were both like, ah, fuck, I wish we talked about that because that's something that we do too. We try and figure out what the narrative is this week and you try and have to create your own different narrative. Because, And you're right, the bomber one is already starting and I'm partially responsible for that, I'm, little, I'm sure. But if you can find a narrative that's like different, you, who knows? Well, Couple numbers, and this is all from the Byron from last year. All right, this is where KH Lee won, if you guys recall. Just looking at the top 10. So that's KH Lee down to Doc Redmond. And I wrote this up in, in the course preview, but just looking at this year's stats, only two of last year's top 10 are in the top 10 of driving distance this year. The rest, except for one, are sub. 50 in terms of the rankings like driving distance at tbc craig ranch and it's kind of like a strong correlation for me this this week driving distance is not the say i'll be all i looked at the weather widget that's on my course preview page and wind's not going to be that bad so I, it's one of those elements that i'm going to fade in terms of my model building and what i'm looking at and i'm going to try and take advantage of just pure ball striking and approach speaking of uh driving distance and pure ball striking. I think the issue with John Rahm this week is one of the more fascinating conundrums I have seen in DraftKings in quite some time. I I haven't seen uh, this big of a disparity between the best player and the second best player and just the quality of the field in general. If you told me he was going to be 12K, I wouldn't have blinked. If you told me he was going to be 12-2, I don't know if I would have blinked. So... Let's start with Rom. 
what are your early ownership thoughts on him and are you playing him? Right now, I'm going to wait on Rom until that final kind of ownership run through. Okay. And he is going to be double digit owned. That's for sure. But a lot of ownerships going to like that Aaron Wise group. Wait, hold um, on. I thought he was, you. when you say double digit owned, yeah, he's going to be double digit owned. I think he's going to be, I was talking to Cody this morning and he was like, Rom might be 75% in, in some of the higher stakes contests. Like he's so, he's way too cheap in this field. In the higher stakes contest, for sure, yes. he'll be he'll be extremely higher owned. In your lower stake contests, like you know the the four dollar twenty max, you're probably gonna be looking at maybe twenty eight percent. Oh, that's silly. And but the reason is people look at kind of those narratives that we're talking about. Like he's been brutal, right? He's yeah. been brutal. And then now also you're looking at the field. Okay, I'm gonna commit eleven thousand three hundred to John Rom. That gives you what a shade under eight thousand per golfer, like seven 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 eight. They don't know golfers in this range. You know who's down there: Lipsky, Rogers, Wyndham Clark, Nate Lashley, Pat Perez. You know most of these guys who are who are playing this, and they're not maxing out these contests. They're going to struggle putting together a lineup that they trust. So his ownership done then just goes down. That's fascinating. Now I'm like. Now I'm kind of back to the drawing board. I was going to lay out a case for you. Well, I have two cases. So can I give you the case first for why I think you should play Rom? Absolutely. Okay. So I think that the issue with Rom this week is I think the difference between Rom and a lot of the 9K guys is way greater than the difference between the 9K guys and the 7K guys. So, for example, you can play Rom and Lanto for the same price as Tringali and Munoz. I think Lanto's better than Tringali and Munoz. And however you fall on those guys, like they're somewhat mostly in the same tier. But if you're telling somebody they can have their lineup start with Tringali and Munoz, or they can have their lineup start with Rom and Lanto, why would you ever play Tringali and Munoz? There's well, so should. much there's so much more talent on one side of the equation. From that perspective, I agree that you want to take the talent and the upside. And if you're gonna get you know ownership for John Rom, let's say it's in the mid-20s when we when it's all said and done, I'm all in on Rom. Like, would you let me let me ask you this? Are there guys how do you feel about the pricing? Do you feel like this do you feel like there's certain guys in the eights or the sevens that are better than some of the guys in the nines? Like, were you surprised by the pricing this week? Because I was shocked. Uh, Smotherman, I thought was a little low. I thought you, you thought he was going to be in the eights. I did. I thought he was going to get to the eights. He's been very popular from week oh, to week. Man, I thought it was going to be very popular. Um, okay. Doug Gim at 8,900. That's a popularity play. Yeah. You know, that's a name. Um, Aaron Wise at 9,500, Chris Kirk at 9,600 makes sense to me in this field. Hmm. So it looking at the field, but, but with, with Rom, it's for me, it's an ownership play. Right? Yeah, me too. And, and, um, I, from, from the, from the fall swing on, I've been practicing my 150 max. I'm trying to transition to that 150 max player. So for me, it's trying to leverage and get as many, guys in my player pool that I feel are going to give me the best chance to win. And I try not to expand my player pool past like 26, 28. 
if I want to get it really tight for 150 loose. lineups. Yeah. And if I want to get really loose, I, I won't go beyond. 30. No, that's you play like I do. Yeah. yeah. I won't go beyond 30 and, and maybe I'll go to 32 at a major just to get a little extra because you just never know what's going to happen. But my, give me scenario two, because I know my response. I think I have my response why I wouldn't play him. Well, okay. There are a couple of reasons why I wouldn't play him. Um, well, part of it was the thought that he was going to be closer to 40%. And if Rom's not good this week, which is very much in play. I mean, he has openly said that he hates golf courses like this. You're going to have to make a million putts here. There's going to be a high greens and regulation percentage. His biggest weapon is that he is so much of a better ball striker than a lot of his competition. And that tends to come out, that tends to get accentuated, that tends to, the poor ball strikers tend to get weeded out at courses like Torrey Pines, at courses like Augusta, at courses even like Memorial, where Rom's almost starting on second base because, you know, some of these guys like Kevin Kisner will be the first to tell you, I just can't hang, I can't hit a long iron that high and consistently. And I don't know if this course is giving him an advantage over the rest of the field based on the way that it's going to set up. Reason number two, I tweeted this out. Last two years, he's played in five bad field events where the strength of field was below 400. Two miscut, zero top 10 finishes. I think the best he's done in these terrible field events in the last two years, at least, is 14th at Amex. And if you play Rom and he's... I don't know, 30% own and he finishes 14th this week. Like, are, are you happy? Because if he finishes 14th, I'm telling you right now, there's going to be one or two guys or three, maybe in the nine K range that will beat him. I have one more, but give me your response first. Well, there's a lot of things that you said that I agree with, but the, the one thing I think you were kind of hinting at, but not saying directly is the fact that the opponent is the course. Okay. And yeah, John Rahm is hands down the best golfer in the field. The problem is the opponent isn't that good. <laughs> okay. And all these golfers in the field can do a lot of the things that John Rahm does on this course. Now, what separates John Rahm, which you kind of already touched about, like at Augusta, is the things that they can't do on a course that's that difficult. And I think that's why in these weaker field events or even on these easier courses, like we'll see at Craig Ranch down the road, you know, even we'll see at, uh, at the John Deere classic, like rocket mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. The, all these courses is that they're so easy that players can hang with the best players in the world because there's nothing to inhibit them or inhibit their skill set from competing. Precisely. Very well said. So, so that is actually a strong rationale to fade John Rahm because the odds are, and I, I, I get it, we have no information about this course other than what you know you or I are spewing out there. You, you easily can argue that Russell Knox, his skill set can play well here and he could compete with Rahm because he, has, he doesn't have to do anything difficult. Yeah. There's not those holes where, like, I remember when I went to the Ryder Cup at, at Whistling Straits, there were certain holes at that course, I'm thinking of 17 specifically, where 
if you can't hit a high draw with a four iron, like you're fucked. Like it's asking exactly. you one specific thing that you need to be able to do. Like, can you execute this shot? And there were more guys on the American side that were able to execute the shot, but there's, there's not going to be shots like that at this course. There's not going to be times where I don't think there's going to be times where if you can't hit a high draw from 220 yards out, you're fucked. I, I think it's pretty, I think it's, I think if you can, that's fucking awesome. And you might end up of course still winning. Um, but the penalty for that, I don't know if it's as, as great. Yeah, it's not, it's not. So, I mean, we, we already talked about the generous fairways. So even those weaker drivers in terms of accuracy, yeah, get an advantage that John Rahm already has in his, in his arsenal. So I, I guess the best analogy to, to give you is like, you know, you look at the angels lineup against a bad pitcher. Anyone could have a great night in theory. You look at that Angels lineup versus like an elite Cy Young pitcher. Well, we're going to look at Otani. We're going to look at, you know, Mike Trout. I know this is a golf show, but I, I just wanted to get that. I'm, little, I'm all for it. Yeah. I, little, I follow. Yeah. Give that little comparison to who the opponent is, right? It's not John Rom versus Tony Fino. It's John Rom versus the course versus the weather and how he's going to play and then how everyone else in the field is going to play against that same opponent. Hmm. You ready for reason number three? This one's a little more speculative. I'm ready. I think a lot of people think that, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out why he's playing this event, right? Like it's, it's not a, it's not a big purse for PGA tour standards this is one of the smallest purses of the year, right? So I think part of me wants to say, okay, the only reason, the only conceivable reason why he's playing this event is because he really, really needs a win. And you listen to his recent press conferences, he's completely aware that Scotty Scheffler has passed him. Um, I think Morikawa's passed him in the world rankings now too. And like, he's due and he knows he needs a win and he wants to be the number one player in the world again. The other side of that is, I was talking to Cody about this this morning, like, and he brought up the point where I'm not sure we know how much control over that Rom actually has over his schedule. So he plays in a lot of weird events, right? And I think maybe he feels obligated sometimes to go play in these Spanish-speaking countries. Like he played two terrible European tour events in Spain last year where he was the best player in the field by a mile and he finished 17th and missed cut. Like even worse strength of fields than this. Two in the fall, like the Andalusia Masters and some other tournament in Madrid. There was no other explanation for why he would play those events. It was after a really long season, other than that they were in Spain and he's Spanish. And so he showed up and you could tell pretty early on, if you watch those Euro Tour events, that this was not the John Rahm that you see at Augusta every year on Tuesday with the glare in his eyes, right? Um and Rom is at the level already. I think you could argue that he should he is going to be measured now by major championships, right? And and he should be. He's that good. I think it's very much in play that like maybe there's a sponsorship thing. I wouldn't be surprised if he had business stuff with Grupo Salinas. Or maybe his wife just wants to go to Mexico 
And he shows up on Thursday morning, pars the first three holes, and looks up at the leaderboard and sees that Austin Smotherman is six under through six and says, fuck this. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I think Rom could miss the cut easily. He's done it. He does it at these events all the time. So that's the other thing where it's like, why is he here? Because it's Mexico. It's a bad person. Yeah. One side of me is like, this guy really is telling us that he needs a win. And the other side of me is like, is he? It really comes down to sponsorship, doesn't it? I, yeah. I mean, if we're to look at it, who like look at the RBC, right? DJ. DJ. You think DJ would really want to play there if he wasn't sponsored by RBC? I, I don't think so. Um, so you, I, I think Rom is sponsored by Mercedes Benz too. Is that um, a thing here? I have uh, no idea if he's sponsored by Grupo Salinas. I know Grupo Salinas is very powerful and has their hands in a lot of things, but I'm just trying, I'm, I, it's all speculative for me. I'm trying to figure it out too. They just had a kid. I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, maybe you want to, maybe you want to take the kid to Mexico. It's a, it's a gorgeous resort. I will say that from all the yeah. images I've looked at. The, the whole reason why I bring this up is I'm just trying to throw out alternative theories for why or why not you may want to play them that I don't think a lot of other people are going to talk about. You know, going back to the, the three scenarios we talked about, for me, the most convincing one is number two, that that you fade him because he's he's on a more level playing field against the opponent. But that would really take some work to dive down in, into the sponsorship um, <laughs> aspect of things. And you know what's funny, though? It's like, I'm a model. Like I, I, I get this crazy. Like I have their wins and majors and then their, their average rank over the last three years in the, in the official world golf rankings. I got their age, the college they attended, where they live, like the state they live. I got their caddies. And if they have a caddy change, it'll tell me um, like all that stuff. So now I'm going to have to look at sponsorships. Well, the thing that you have to think about too, is like, these guys are at the ROM level and certainly at the answer level, these guys are all businessmen too. Like answer is going to be in business meetings all week, right? Like all it takes is one guy, one big player in Mexico to say, to get in touch with ROM and say, Hey, I have an investment opportunity. So I'm just pointing, I'm just saying that we, we don't know. I do not know. I'm pointing out alternative theories for why you should or shouldn't play Rob because I'm having a difficult time deciding myself. It, it's it's going to come down for me to Wednesday night. I know that. Me too. I think so. I think so too. I think the one thing that I'll I won't do though that that I a lot of the guys I talk to in, in certain text threads and stuff they kind of attribute how they would think at a sporting event versus a professional athlete at a sporting event. I don't ever want to assume that a professional athlete is at a tournament not to win. Yeah, great. Of course. Of course. But 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 don't get me wrong, we've seen it. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like a thing where on hole number 1, they're like, "Fuck yeah, I'm going to win this tournament." It's generally like when if you get off to a slow start, then you run into a risk, especially at these birdie fests. Because if you shoot even, if John Rahm shoots even on day one and he looks up at the leaderboard and sees all these jabronis at eight under, he's told us how he feels about those events. He's told us. Right. Because he's better than those guys and he knows it. 
And it's fucking, he thinks it's fucking bullshit. And I understand to a certain extent how that could be discouraging. But is he off? That's the other question. Is he legitimately off? Is is he so off his game that he's going to struggle? I mean, there's that too. He went from being the best player in the world off the tee for a little bit of time. The off the tee went downhill at the Masters. The approach was fine. He was basically a field average ball striker at the Masters. He was pretty much average at everything. So the putter actually got a little bit better. So that's the that's the hard part. Like if John Rahm's field average, that's very, very bad for John Rahm. But you go back one or two starts before the Masters. He was like the best off the tee player by a mile. That's it's a tough game. <laughs> Let's move on. That, I mean, dude, I could talk to you about this forever, but I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a tough one to figure out. I, I, I'm with you. I, I thought the ownership was going to be a lot higher than you were saying. I trust you more than my initial thought, so I have to see. But let's go down. So, if you're not playing Ron, where would you start? Patrick Reed. Oh, all right. Make the case. I, no one's going to own him, and he's got more wins in the field than anyone on uh, in this field. He's got nine wins. He's won majors before. He's got 10K, which leaves you get different everywhere else down below him. Or even go stars and scrubs and pay up. Like if you wanted to go Fino, who I don't mind either because he's going to have low ownership because he's been in the category of what have you done for me lately? Um, 10,100 though for Kevin. Nah, I, I can't do it. I can't do that. That's, Did you that's, think this is not a good golf course for Patrick Reed? I get the ownership good, side of it. It's never a good golf course for Patrick eh, Reed. Kind of. I like golf courses where short game matters for him. Short game matters, but again, the things he struggles with, he's not going to have to worry about here. That's true. He can probably spray it off the tee a little bit here. Absolutely. So I, I'm not too concerned about the driving accuracy. And even if he ends up in the rough, he's fine. Fairway bunkers, of course, then I'll be concerned. You know, your scoring opportunity is basically gone, but you're not going to be rolling out that much. He's got pinpoint accuracy with his ball striking if he's on, um, just like, I guess, anyone in this field. So That's that a big F. He's been bad. Is that the PXG thing? Do you believe in that? Like, we That's like another Justin alternative Rose. theory we can talk about. I don't, I don't have enough information to speak intelligently about it is my answer. I don't want to just say bullshit that I don't, I'm not a huge equipment guy when it comes to like golf courses and and stuff like that. I I really feel like I'm in my lane, but it's, I don't know enough about equipment to really say. Do you? It's, I think it's more subjective because you're talking about a limited amount of golfers who are using those clubs and it's not like Callaway, TaylorMade and Titleist. So I think that's where those numbers are kind of like skewed. But I, I the best, I guess, kind of viewpoint that I looked at over the years was Justin Rose, where his game just went to garbage. But yeah, with the, of the clubs or is yeah, that what was, he was the name of that brand? It was like trying to, oh, was, you, it was me, it was Hanma or something like that. So, well, something like that. Then he went to PXG. Yeah. And then he finally went back to Taylor Mater Callaway. Um, but I don't know. If if you're an equipment guy and you don't like the PXG narrative, I get it. But it's Patrick Reed. 
you want to get different in those like big mass multi-entry contests. You don't need a lot of Patrick Reed to get different. Um, like even 25%, right? That's good to lev- like leverage so many lineups. But that's from an ownership standpoint, that's where I would go. All right. We got to fuck, man. You're good. You're going to have to come back on. I have another podcast to do in like 12 minutes. So I need to move (laughs) down, but you, you have more than earned a repeat visit. I could talk to you about that. This could have been two hours. You're, you're good to talk to you about this, man. Give me somebody a little bit lower. So 8k into 7k, and then we'll, we'll maybe throw out a, a, a bomb towards the end. Uh, 8k. I love, uh, Aaron Rye. I I love Aaron Rye. I love playing him this week. Um, no one right now is on him, but that could obviously change by Wednesday. Uh, he does have two wins on the Euro tour and sure most does, people yeah. don't even look across the pond to see how they're doing over there. And I, he's one of those players that I hope he doesn't turn into like Tom, like to Fleetwood, right? He never wins on stateside, but he only wins across the pond, but I really love him. Um, Figala in that AK range. Also people, people forgot how good he was playing. I think the goal is going to be owned though. No, he'll have some ownership, but again, we're in this AK range where do you think people are going to play gamut 89, by the way, because it's almost like he's priced. Like remember Taylor Gooch at the masters where it's like, if Taylor Gooch is 7.5, I think he'd be really popular, but he's, I mean, do you think people are still going to play gamut 8.9? It's Doug Gim, right? You know what it is for me with Gim? It's like, I've played him so much at certain events yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to fade it and miss it. The one time, yeah, he actually wins and pulls through. I bet him every week, like for first round leader or a winner, <laughs> like you know, just for fun. Just, I just think the price is like. Do you think people are going to play Munoz at nine point eight? Yeah, because they're gonna they're gonna play the narrative, the hometown narrative, right? They're gonna. He's look from at, Colombia. He's not from. Mexico. I know. I know, but that not from Mexico, but from the Latino Latin America. kind of yeah, the Latin I got America you. kind of that kind of theme. Same with like Ortiz, mm-hmm. and then um, I don't know. Looking at the AK range, like I, I I would love to go back to to Chucky three sticks. Um, he burned me. Burned a lot of people. So he I, he did. I, I was one of those. I'd love to go back to him. Looks like we had the same lineups last week. <laughs> I'll give you a good one. How about Taylor Moore? Taylor Moore, I got some interest in him when like you look at his stats this year. Pretty good. He ranks he ranks 18th in ball striking. He'll be 5%, um, right? Yeah, he'll be low who's, owned. Who's playing 8.2 Taylor Moore except guys like me and you? Not much. Yeah. Um, the problem is this year he's been off on approach. So you got to hope that he puts that together and like historically, mm-hmm. yeah, like that's like kind of been his bugaboo and I feel like that's one of the mainstays and stats that we're looking at here. So He's been pretty bad on approach. He has. He's pretty good with the long irons, though, which I which I like here. And he's pretty long off the tee. He's not like a he's not like a Cameron Champ, but he's. Oh, that's the other one I want to ask you about. Sorry for moving backwards again. What do you think Champ's going to come in at? I'm really curious about that one because he's right next to Wise, and I think a lot of people, if you're not playing Rom, aren't you? starting with like Woodland and doing like Woodland wise and maybe one more guy in the nines, like Matt Jones, that's gotta be the non-ROM build, right? Well, people are getting off the Woodland, off Woodland train. Huh? Um, 
he missed the cut of the Masters, and a lot of people banked on him doing well as one of those pivots. I don't know if you knew, like, remember, he, like his course history at Augusta, by the way, is abysmal, terrible. But coming into coming into Augusta, he had a top twenty-five finish at the Valspar. He had an eighth-place finish, I think, at the Valero, and then you know you missed the cut at Augusta. People don't have short memories with guys who burn them. Gary Woodland at the Masters burned plenty of lineups. Cameron Champ's getting the love that he's getting because of the Masters. And, I know. <laughs> and if his if his ownership just blows up, I I'm not going to touch it. Like I, I'm not going to touch it. I know I know friends of mine and a lot of guys are betting him because they're popping in and a lot of models they're building on fantasy national, but a lot of those guys are, are, are waiting driving distance very heavily. And like I said, I'm not doing that. So Cameron champs off my list. I'd rather play Tringale actually at lower ownership. I think uh, no? his name on tour. <laughs> do you think, do you, are people going to play him? Cause he has a terrible stigma attached to him. But the thing about Tringale that people don't realize, and I, it gets a little bit tougher at 9.7, but like if we're talking about making a cut here and finishing like T12, I don't think he has as much upside as a guy like Woodland or Champ to win. But it's not like he doesn't like contend. Like he's not finishing 35th every week. He's like he finished third at Torrey Pines, 13th at Genesis, 12th at the Heritage, 10th last week, right? So like he can get you a T10. The question is it's all about ownership. All I'm trying to do here is trying to think of ways to get off wise. <laughs> Cause I'm with you. I think wise will be close to 20, right? Yeah. My fair way to get off wise for me is to go to Chris Kirk or go okay. down to Russell Knox. So Those, you think, you think Kirk will be lower than Tringale? Yes. Okay. I do. The problem with Tringale and I actually just realized this from nine K all the way to ROM. So from Matt Jones all the way to John Rahm, he's the only one who's never won on PGA Tour. Yeah. <laughs> so like 9,700 for a guy who's never won before, if I'm starting my lineups there, that's going to be some risk. I don't think Tringale is getting the love that we think. Statistically, though, he, you know, he, he does farewell here. Yeah. And then plus with those wider fairways, it's going to help his fairway accuracy, which is something he's been struggling with all season. So, I mean, he's not brutal at it, but he's not great at it. I have an affinity for Tringale just because back when he was like low seven K's a few years ago, I kept smashing him in lineups and he mm. was just making me tons of money. But now it's a little bit different, you know, when you're looking at a 9,700, but you can most definitely pivot to Tringali. I just like Kirk a little bit more. Okay. And then, um, even, even when you look at like the opening lines, right. Tringali opened up on Bovada at like 33 to one Kirk was 33 to one. And then finally you get to 50 to one when you get to like Knox and Streelman and Matt Jones. Yeah. I look at that stuff too. Is that another thing you look at? We have to go uh, by the way, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. Absolutely. Vegas is like number one. They get it right more often than I get it. I get it right. I'll give you I, a thing that I do that I, I think is, and this is another thing that I've been measuring. So the sharp guys in Vegas that bet golf, they only bet matchups. So one thing that I do is you can look at what direction the matchup lines are moving. This is not really necessarily have anything to do with ownership. This is more so about like who's a good play and who's a bad play. But the only way that the sharp guys in Vegas get down on golf is through those matchups, right? So you can look at what a matchup opens at 
and then you can see which way that number is moving. And it's generally that's the side that the sharps are on. Yeah, I do use the matchup lines, um, the top 20 lines, all those Vegas lines, uh, yeah. looking at the opening lines. And I use Bovada's opening lines just because it's easier to import in my model. But um, looking at where Tringali ranks, he's seventh. He's tied for seventh. And he's tied with Aaron Wise. So have fun, you know, picking between them. And then um, the surprise actually is 9,100 um, Streelman. He actually comes in at 40 to one, which is just above Champ, Brendan Todd, Knox, Jones. And th- I haven't updated it yet to how they've moved. This was just how they opened up. Yeah. All right. Give me a plug. Plug everything that you're doing over at Cutline, over at Fanshare. And we're going to do this again very soon. Yeah. Cutlinegolf.com. Check it out. We do our tournament model. Uh, we do our Vegas model. We have a course report. We even have a blog section about how to, you know, attack certain types of slates and game theory and kind of those ideas. And of course, fansharesports.com. If you're not signed up, just use the discount code Cutline, and uh, you get 20% off your monthly membership for life. Not just one time for life. You get 20% Ooh. off your whole monthly membership, which is pretty sweet. And we got the best ownership in the industry. Got guys like Rob G, um, who you're very, who you know very well. Rob's Um, fantastic, yeah. And then um, they're always, you know, in the Discord, putting content up on Fanshare's blog. So great team to work with. Um, I love being a part of Fanshare, and I, without a doubt, best ownership in the industry. No offense to uh, everything that you guys are doing. No, of course, (laughs) man. None take it. You should feel that way. I, I would, I would be concerned if if you didn't say stuff like that and you work, I wouldn't have also had you on if I didn't have an incredible amount of respect for the work you guys do. So thanks again for joining me, buddy. This was a blast. It was good to see you. Thanks, Andy. All right. That's it for the show. Special thanks to Michael. Special thanks to rickrungood.com. You can find me later this week on the scramble with Rick, odds checker articles, uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays, DFS final thoughts, article on Wednesday. Oh, I'm also on um, the Golf Gambling Podcast. I'm subbing in for for Twitterless Steve, who's on vacation. Uh, so it's me and Capper just yelling for an hour. It's really good. We've got a lot of comfortability there, and it's a, uh, it's a very fun podcast. So check that out as well on the Golf Gambling Podcast feed. All right, best of luck with your bets this week, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stops It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. 
Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com